Hey everyone, welcome to The Way. This is Francis. And this is Jason, coming at you from the DMV. Hi everyone, this is Francis. Woohoo, you back, honey. I'm back. Did you guys miss me? <laughs> it wasn't as fun, right? Anyway. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, you, welcome. Are the, you are the fun one. Yes, I am. Yeah. Welcome to The Way, everyone. It's good to see your face again, honey, on this lovely evening doing the podcast together once again. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you see my face every day. <laughs> yes, but we're we're working together now, which is always a recipe for a potential disaster. That's very true. <laughs> so what are we talking about tonight, honey? We are going into the Christmas season, and so we are going to be discussing... Um, the birth of Christ. And we're going to talk about Jesus. I think that's kind of an appropriate thing to yes. talk about during Christmas, right? Yes, it is. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take some some scripture and we're going to kind of tear it apart and talk about what that theme of that scripture is in relationship to Jesus and his coming. Um, a lot of times Christmas, you know, it tends to be a season that, Christ is overlooked in, and we want to kind of shine the, the spotlight back on him as much as we can, and, you know, if you're a listener of our podcast, you obviously hear the name of Jesus quite a bit, <laughs> but during this Christmas season, what we want to do is we want to definitely highlight Christ as the centerpiece um, and and show Christmas for what it really is, which is the, kind of like the the beginning of the rescue story. Well, not really the beginning, but like it's the the climax of the rescue story that God has, the plan that God has for humanity, uh, the coming of his son. Yeah. I mean, uh, just like Jason said, you know, a lot of the times, well, majority of the time, Jesus is actually written out of this season. Yeah. Typically, it becomes more about gifts or Christmas lights or holiday trees or... You know, the Starbucks coffee that is a holiday print or whatever. You know, there's just so much more about this day than what the world makes it out to be. Speaking of the world, you being from the Philippines, do you have any memories of Christmas in the Philippines? What, what are some of your memories about Christmas in the Philippines? Hmm. Well, I mean... Because I'm Filipino, we usually celebrate Christmas like almost Christmas Eve. Okay. So we go, we kind of like all hang out as a family and then we do Christmas caroling. Uh, I remember being a kid and actually going with like some group of friends and we go to like in our street, there's different houses, obviously. Right. It's a neighborhood. So you knock on each door and you sing and the people will come out and actually give you change. Oh, neat. Yeah. So then, you know, once you have all your change, you divvy it up with each other <laughs> type thing. But it's nice. It was it was really fun. From being married to you for as long as we've been married, one of the things that I've always appreciated about your family's culture is the, the how much they love to celebrate Christmas together. It's, yeah. a, it's a big deal in Filipino culture. It is. It um, is. From what your mom and dad have told me, um, they start celebrating Christmas in the Philippines in like September. You know what I mean? They start preparing for it. I mean, obviously they're oh, I don't remember that. They're but... exaggerating a little bit, but like they start decorating and doing all that pretty early. 
right? Like to get ready for Christmas. Um, I know the traditions in my family, um, you know, Christmas is a very special time of year for me because um, as a kid, especially, I got a lot of, I got doted on quite a bit during Christmas time because I was the only kid in my family for a long time. Um, so not, I, as o- not only as a kid, as a teenager. Oh, you remember that, huh? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but uh, I have to say, remembering being part of the church as a, as a kid and Christmas carols and singing about Jesus and... You know the the hymns that actually point to Christ that are that are Christmas oriented um, have stuck with me basically my whole life, and uh, I'm really thankful for a grandmother who who instilled that heritage in me and and kept Christ in Christmas for me. You know what I mean? Even though I did get a lot of gifts and was and, and was I wouldn't say necessarily spoiled, uh, although, although other people might say spoiled. that. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I would say that, that I am definitely thankful that that was sewn into my life and, uh, that Jesus was definitely uplifted. Um, and I knew what the season was about. Um, the scripture we're looking at tonight, what I want to talk about is this concept of darkness and light. And... What's interesting is is that I think Christmas has turned into a family celebration more than a celebration of what really transpired when Jesus was born, which was this message, this this hopeful thing that God actually is going to intervene on behalf of mankind and and basically bring light into darkness, mm-hmm. right? And so we're going to look at a scripture from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, and we're going to kind of tear apart this one messianic prophecy here in, in the book of Isaiah that's talking about uh, the birth of Christ. When you say messianic, for those that may not know that term, can you sure. explain? So messianic would, would, would be a way to describe... Um, the messianic is basically a descriptive term used to talk about the messiah the jewish messiah which is messiah is a term used in judaism for a coming king that they believe is going to restore israel to its former glory of the old testament we as christians believe that jesus is that messiah and that he came First as a suffering servant, which is talked about later in Isaiah, he came, you know, to die first and then will return as that uh, celebrated and and um, conquering king in his second coming. Um, so what Christmas is about is really about his first coming. Right? Yes. It's about him coming as a baby and at humble beginnings and, die, you know, living a life. Um, on this earth, walking this earth, dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead, Christmas is the is kind of like the the start of that story of his first coming to the earth. And Isaiah, hundreds of years before before Jesus, prophesies about this this 
hopeful experience of going from darkness to light. And that being in the form of a baby. Right? So let's take a look at this scripture. And okay. you want to take the first couple verses, you maybe read verses one through three. One to three? Yeah. Okay. So we're in Isaiah nine. One to three. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and of Thele will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. So this is obviously a message of hope, right? Anything jump out at you in those first three verses? There are a few things jump out at me. The first thing for me at least um, is the mention of Galilee of the Gentiles. Yeah, that definitely was, like jumped out. I'm not really sure what why they said it that way yeah it's a it's a it's a really interesting way to 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 encapsulate um there'll be a time in the future when galilee of the gentiles which lies along the road that runs between the jordan and the sea will be filled with glory galilee of the gentiles the the region of israel where jesus is from he is from Galilee, that's where Nazareth, right. that's where he grew up, right? He was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth is, is in Galilee. So this is basically prophesying that where Jesus is going to grow up, Galilee will be filled with glory. So it's a prophecy about how, and, and honestly, during the time of Christ, Galilee was looked down upon by most Jews, especially Jewish folks uh, who were in you know very religious or even the r- religious leaders of the day. It was looked down at because of its proximity to the Gentiles. Its Is connection. this the first time that the word or the term Gentiles was mentioned? It's not mentioned very often in the Old Testament. Right. Um, but yeah, this is one of those places where it gets used in, in, in a, it's basically communicating non-Jewish folks. Right. Right. And so what it's saying is, is that Galilee has this connection to non-Jewish folks which makes it kind of looked down upon by okay. the religious leadership. And so that goes into the idea of the Pharisees not really accepting Jesus because he's from Galilee. What good thing can come from Galilee, they say in the New Testament, right? right. So right there off the bat, we see this this prophecy about Jesus coming from Galilee. This, this, this region in Israel basically will be filled with glory. Um, and then we jump into this whole idea of darkness and light, right? What does it mean to walk in darkness, Francis? What does that, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean to you? Walking in darkness. I mean, when I think of walking, well, are we talking about like spiritual terms or just in general? Just in general and we can take it spiritual if you want. Okay. So in general, if you're walking in darkness, you just can't see where you're going. It's really difficult to see where you're headed. You can't see the path. You can't see the road. Um, you can't see the things around you. Okay. Um, so you're kind of walking blindly. And that's hard to do. Right. Right. What happens a lot of times when you walk in the dark? 
well, you either trip on something, stub your toe, you fall, you bang your knee. What happens when I walk in the dark, Francis? Well, you definitely bang your big toe on our bedpost and then you scream. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am not good at walking in the dark. Nope. Right? It doesn't matter how well adjusted my eyes are. It doesn't matter. Um, Although you never want to turn on the light. Yeah, that's hmm. that's the irony, right? Well, men love darkness, according to John, right? That's right. And so does this guy, apparently. <laughs> mm. How does that connect to spiritual connotation? I guess spiritual means, in a spiritual sense, if we're talking, you know, obviously we're talking scripture here. Um, thinking of you walking, like someone that doesn't know or aware of the spiritual realm. Meaning... That there are forces that are kind of almost vying for your soul, mm. you know, um, and you are blind to your sin. You're blind to, um, I guess, things that are, are like the enemy that is trying to distract you from like the hope that there is there, that is to come. Yeah. When you're in the dark, dark is, darkness is oppressive. Right? Yeah. Like. There is like a, a f- there's this oppression yes. and burdensome and um, I just think of like when you're feeling really really down and you have no idea why it's like that of like that yucky feeling of like like I don't know why I I can't find happiness or joy or yeah. even like purpose you know you're you're. You, you, like it could be great things happening around you or even in your life and yet there is this um, feeling of like worthless. At the same time, I think human beings actually love the darkness. right like I think that there is there is a comfort sometimes in the darkness. Well it's com- it's it's something that's comfortable to, to them. Why, why, why is darkness comfortable to humanity? Like, what is it about darkness that makes us, that's, that's familiar or like, why is it that we love it so much? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, there's this, um, like mystery to it. Yeah. There is this, um, like almost like, like naughtiness to it where it's like sneaky, you, you know, it's, it's like. When you're a little kid, you're like a toddler, right? You're a two-year-old, and your parent says, don't touch that, like that stove. And what do the toddler usually do? They try to touch it anyway. Right. Until they burn their fingers, then they're like, you know, screaming bloody murder type thing. But typically, it's like, the more you tell them no, the more they want to know. And they want to actually, like, why are you telling me no type thing. Yeah, I think darkness is appealing to us because... um. Well, we have sin nature. Well, obviously our sin nature, right? But also, coupled with our sin nature is this idea that we almost think that God can't see us. (laughs) Right? We kind of act like when we're in darkness that God doesn't see because there's no light shining on us. Right? And so I think that humanity, up until the point where Jesus comes onto the scene... Where humanity walking in darkness really means, you know, there wasn't, there was the, the only way for humanity's sins to be covered was through the sacrificial system of the Jews. And that those were the only people at that time who had access to that system. 
right? Until Christ came. Right. And the idea here is, is that humanity was shrouded in darkness, wandering around in the dark. Well, I mean, I think that's even um, it. It's like they didn't even realize that they were in darkness, you know, right. for a lot of people. Um, they just, you know, it, it, it's you're blindly just going through life. They're going through life thinking they're fine and they don't realize that right from the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin entered this world and they were already headed to eternal damnation. Yeah. And when you don't realize that there is that aspect of eternal life, either in hell or heaven, and separation from God the Father, you live life as if there's like, there's, it's just this, the here and now. So you are so blind to like, the darkness, yeah. almost. You know, you're just like, okay, this is just part of, you know, what my life is supposed to be like. I think keeping with the analogy that you gave earlier about like physically walking in darkness, what happens is your eyes get adjusted to the darkness, and you think that you can see. Right. Right. Like you, you, you don't realize that your see your your ability to see is impaired by the darkness because your eyes adjust and you can kind of see things. And then you wander around and hit your knee and stub your toe and, and hurt yourself, right? right? Um, I think that humanity, up until the point where Christ came on the scene, was resigned to that state. And, you know, Jesus coming onto the scene is this... This is the reason why he is, he is worthy of our worship. Because what this verse says in in verse 2 the people who walk in darkness will see a great light um what's it like when you're in darkness and then you turn the lights on well typically i see all the dust that it's not supposed to be there do you see that immediately no what ha- what has to happen well it becomes it's almost like you have this little light and you get at first you still can't see things but as that light shines and as it stays on, it becomes brighter in that room. Right. You know what I mean? Where you really can see things. I mean, you, you know me. You've been married to me a long time. You know how much I love when it's dark, the light being turned on in our room, right? Like, it's my <laughs> favorite thing in the world, right? Yeah. Um, no, it's not. I hate the light being turned on. Why? Well, it hurts your eyes. Yes. It's I, like, he screams as if he's like a vampire, yeah. you know, like melting. I'm like, my eyes! <laughs> I can't see. Um, my eyes don't adjust to light very well uh, once I've been asleep or I'm in the dark. And it's to the point where now, when I go into the bathroom in the middle of the night, I don't even like turning the light on when I go into the bathroom because I don't like the light in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, let's not go there because I could say a lot of things with you trying to use the bathroom with no lights on. Well, we're not going to talk about that. The point is, is that one great, a great light shines into darkness. The the initial reaction to it can sometimes be painful, right? Right. It yeah. can it can sometimes be arresting, right? Like it may sometimes it takes a little bit of time to adjust. To that great light shining in the darkness. Or it could also be a a welcome like surprise, like a much needed burst of light. Because I mean, think about it, if like you're like 
driving down the road and your lights are like off you right. can't see so you don't know what's coming to you so you know your lights suddenly working just in an instant that gives you so much more like i don't know just it 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 takes away the fear yeah right? definitely because now yeah. you, you could see and you're not you're not like worried about getting hit or you know running into something yeah. and like that to me is more when i get when not when I'm in the dark and suddenly there's a light that turns on, I'm like, I'm grateful and thankful. You're right. And I, I, th- I do think that light chases away fear. Yes. Right? Like when darkness typically equals fear. And when light comes into a situation, um, we don't have to fear anymore, right? Like, because we can see what's in front of us and we can see what's coming. Yes. Um, so what this prophecy is saying is that The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. In the Greek, it actually reads, a land where death casts its shadow. Mm. That's how, that's the kind of... sounds more poetic. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a real, like, vivid description of darkness, Mm -hmm. right? Where death's shadow exists. Right. Right? Um... In that place, there'll be a light, right? You know, I obviously Isaiah has in readers who are reading this, right? And he is he's writing this to a people. He's writing this to to um, Jewish folks who are going to be his original readers, right? And he's talking about exiled. It, you know, folks and, and giving them hope, right? At the same time, this prophecy is fulfilled in Messiah, in Christ, and he's basically saying to them that there is hope in Messiah, right? That he will bring light to darkness. And, you know, I can't think of any better way to describe the gospel. Like you said, Francis, earlier when talking about the bad news, right? Like from Adam to Jesus, there was bad news, right? There wasn't really a, a real clear understanding by anyone but Jewish people that there was a, a way for humanity to have a relationship with God, to have any type of redemption with God, right? right. And then when Christ comes and he fulfills his mission, there is this great light that is shown into a dark world. That is... If he never did a single thing ever again for any of us, that would be enough. Amen. Right? If Jesus never did another thing for us, his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead is enough. And that's what this great light is that I, the prophet Isaiah is talking about. Let's keep going. Let's, let's skip down to verse 4. Uh, verse four says, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will, will all be burned. They will be fuel for fire. This is poetic language and very powerful language that's talking about contrasting like violence and this yoke of slavery being broken 
Um, I know for me, in my life, um, and I know this is a touchy subject, so I'm going to be, I'm going to tread as lightly as I can, but I need to, I need to say this because I think that, um, in light of our cultural context right now and the conversations that we're having, having as a society, slavery is a, is a, is a really touchy subject to talk about. But the reality is, is that we're all slaves to something, right? Um, we're slaves to our sin nature. We're slaves to um, whatever it is that we that we attach our hearts to. To be honest with you, right? We can be forced into slavery as humans and serve, you know, a group of people, right? right. Um, but the reality is, humans are all slaves to something. The fact that the writer here says that the yoke of slavery is broken, why does that need to be broken? What is so terrible about slavery? Well, because you're not your own. Okay. Like, even in the biblical terms, you know, when they talk about slaves and masters, uh, it's not the way we think of here in America when the the slavery was taking place. Back in biblical terms, it's more like someone that is paying off a debt. Okay. So... Even in back in the day, it's like you are not your own. You're working in order to pay your debt. Okay. So there is that um, burden that you have to almost, you carry. Okay. Because it's, yeah, you're not, you can't, like, you're not making a living for yourself. You're making a living to, like, pay somebody off. So slavery in and of itself is burdensome. Yes. Right? Probably the best description I've ever heard. It's 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 not the necessarily like and obviously chateau slavery that we had here in the U.S. has a whole nother element to it, right? Yes. With the treatment of human beings and all those things, the physical harm and but just generally, slavery is burdensome. Yes, it's a it's a heavy burden, and I can think of some things that Jesus said about burdens, right? Like one of the things he said is that, and and it actually uses the word yoke in this verse in the book of Matthew. Jesus said to, you know, those who are weary, those who are tired, those who are enslaved, right? Mm -hmm. He said, um, take my yoke upon you, right? And learn from me, right? He said that his yoke is easy to bear and his burden is light, right? So Christ coming eases the burden of the state of humanity which is slavery we're slaves we're all slaves to something humanity is in and of itself slaves well i think you know in this case too we're slaves to sin right you know we have this sin nature that we were born with and we don't even realize it you know i think when you you know when you when you don't know Christ, you just know that this is who you are. You do you go about how you were raised. You know all the traditions that you you your parents raised you in, and all the things, all the life experience you have. That's who that makes up who you are, right? But you don't ever think about your choices being um, like could possibly be looked at by God as sin. Mm. You know, you just go, oh, I, I chose this because my circumstances forced me to choose this. Sure. 
you know, or this is just how my life turned out. Right. Versus like when you finally come to know Christ, you realize that there are a lot, you look back and there were choices that you made that you still had a choice, even though you think you're back into a corner. Um, but there are still choices that choose to like please self rather than like pleasing the Lord. Mm. Yeah, I think that that element of choice that you just described is really a big facet of what separates us from the animal kingdom because we, you know, we don't act instinctually, right? Like we don't act on instinct. We act on the ability to make logical, using reason and making decisions, right? And that's where sin comes into play and that's where our sin nature comes into play and why we're held accountable for that because we're held to a higher standard than the rest of creation because of that, right? Because we are created in God's image with this ability to reason. And so all of that is is connected to this idea that we're going to be slaves to something, right? And one of the things that I love about the gospel is the gospel basically takes the story of Christmas of God's rescue plan coming to fruition where his son comes in the in our in the form of a man, right? He's a man like us. And there is this this exchange, this beautiful exchange that happens on the cross where my burdens are given to him. My the yoke of slavery is given to him. My slavery to sin I'm no longer captive to my sin because of what Jesus did, right? Now, sin is, it, it's lost. It's not, it's not victorious anymore because of what Jesus did. Jesus is victorious over sin and death. So that burden, that heavy, lifting the heavy burden from their shoulders and breaking the oppressor's rod came to fruition in Christ's coming. And that's that's the message of Christmas, right? Like, Francis, when you and I were preparing to talk, one of the things that we wanted to say to the listener is that as, as beautiful and as joyous as the Christmas season is, you need to hear, listener, that you are a slave to something. <laughs> that your, your, your plight is is doomed without Jesus. And I think that that's hard to hear. It is. And I think that's, you know, when we were preparing for this, I was so adamant about making sure that we really capture um, why, you know, why Jesus came, you know, on supposedly in Christmas season, right? right. On December 25th, so to speak. Because it's not just like about, gifts and Christmas trees and Christmas carols and traditions and Santa Claus. It's like, if you really think about how great this gift is of this baby to come down on earth to, to, to basically like in a manger, you know, so to speak, or like, uh, you know, wherever he, they, he actually was born. Right. I mean, this was a gift of hope. This is a gift of like freedom, like you said, from this from sin, mm. you know, um, so that he could fulfill that rescue plan that God had for his people, for us, you know. I don't know. I think there's just so 
it gets so lost during the Christmas season, like Jesus Christ, that like, I just want the, the listeners to hear that it's like, Christmas is more than just gifts. It's like, it is about the greatest gift of all, which is Jesus being coming here as a baby so that he could fulfill his destiny, which is to die on the cross for us so that we are rescued from our sin and forgiven and be reconciled with God the Father. I mean, it's so frustrating because that's never the message. Yeah. You know, it's never the message during this season and it stinks, it sucks. Because, <laughs> they, but, but... It's because everybody's walking in darkness. Those that don't know that they're actually walking in darkness are just like, yeah, it's just about these things, you know? But truly, it's not about that. Yeah, I think that the, the message that we need a Savior, right, which is really the implication of Christmas, right? Like Jesus coming um, as Savior, you know, he embodied, literally, you know, he incarnated, you know, God in flesh. That's, that's scary to people, right? Like, that's, that's off-putting. That could be offensive to people, right? This idea that, that I need a savior and that, that I need to, to recognize my own slavery to my sin, slavery to my selfishness, right? Like my own, my own, uh, holding on to self and worship of self and worship of material things and all those things. I have to come to grips with that in my life. And I have to compare that to a selfless act of that rescue plan that you're talking about where Jesus comes to die. His whole purpose of coming was to die, Right. Not to be a great teacher, you know, not to be, um, you know, a great philosopher. No, his purpose in coming for Christmas was to die, right? That's offensive. And so I think that, I think that the secularization and, and like the kind of dumbing down, if you will, of Christmas and, and like how we've made it less and less and less and less and less about Jesus is because... The message just doesn't, people aren't interested. People don't, it doesn't tickle people's ears. And I think that the reality is that people like you and me, Francis, the, the Christians of this world who really believe that this is the way, right? Like we really believe this. We have got to shout this from the rooftops. We've got to put this in front of people so that the Holy Spirit has room to work in people's lives to open their eyes and their hearts and their ears, right? If we don't do that, then we are we are doing a disservice, right? right? So focusing on this scripture, let's keep going. Focusing on this scripture, um, you know, you see just this amazing story unfolding. Verse six. Go ahead, read verse six to first uh, six, first six and seven. Yeah. Okay. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will and he will be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord's of the Lord of heaven, heaven's armies will make this happen. 
yeah, I mean, this is just, I mean, this is just laying it out for us, right? A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. So a lot of confusion with these verses has to do with the fact that when Jesus came, none of this really took place during that time frame. Like, the government didn't rest upon his shoulders when he came to earth, right? So then the question begs, well, did he really fulfill this? What are your thoughts on that, Francis? Do you think that Jesus actually fulfilled this this prophecy? Um. Yes. How? I mean, if you just think about, like, even just how, okay, he was born. And wasn't it like the government at that time were, like, looking for this baby? That they sent out, like, people to look for this baby to be killed. If they themselves were out looking because they know of the prophecy. Right. I don't know how the other people missed it. Sure. Like, seriously, they were serious enough to order, like, like hit their army to kill all the babies that are newborn. Right. So if they believe this prophecy, why didn't the people that know the word of God actually, like, believed it? Yeah, you're... Like, they basically, the government just stopped and, like, went searching. Yeah, King Herod... Um, the Jewish king basically was reminded of this prophecy of, and not just this one, but many others, and realized that, uh, you know, that there was a potential Messiah uh, coming. And so he he panicked and he started killing babies left and right, right? So, like, yes, the government definitely was affected by the birth of Christ, right? Yeah. Like, um you know, I think the government resting upon his shoulders, um, I think that that's actually, that particular verse is referring to his second coming. Hmm. But I think all of this is, all, the first coming and second coming of Christ are actually, you know, kind of like one um, event as far as the Bible is concerned. And why I say that is because Jesus is eventually going to rule and reign on this earth. And what I like is the second part of this verse that talks about all these things that he'll be called, right? Yes. Wonderful counselor. Um, mighty God. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Yeah. Prince, Prince of, of Peace. Peace. Um, those are just incredible names or attributes that are attributed to him and what he will be called. Um, how many times in your life, Francis, have you needed a wonderful counselor? Many times. You know, <laughs> like all the times that you, you know, you can think of where you just need some wise, gentle counsel from, from someone and Jesus shows up and whispers in your ear and says just the thing that you need to hear, right? Either from his word or from your prayer life or whatever. Um, mighty God, I can tell you that in my life, um, the, the thought of a mighty God who loves me and cares for me is... It's, it, it chases a, a lot of the fear away from my life. It chases a lot of the insecurity away from my life. There's a, I have a rock that I could run to in, in mighty God, right? Um, how about 
everlasting father. That's a good one, right? It is. You know, he's a father forever. Um, he's father to the fatherless. Father to the fatherless. I mean, I I don't know what, listener, I don't know what your situation is as far as how you relate to your father. Um, you know, earthly fathers are a significant part of our life. And they they can either do significant damage to your life or they can bring just amazing things to your life. And I think that most of us have kind of a mixture of all those things, right? Like, because no father is perfect. Um, and yet Jesus is it, called the everlasting father um, because he... He steps in in situations in our life and and leads us in a way that no one else can. And then my favorite one, I think, out of all of this is Prince of Peace. Amen. Mm. What does what does that Prince of Peace name? mean for you francis like for what me that? i yeah. think it's it's i'm one of these people that are very that's very intense and so everything is like heightened for me um because i like control <laughs> uh, so a lot of times when i can't control a situation or there's things that come in place where i i don't necessarily know how to handle mm. Um, Jesus being the Prince of Peace for me has really like just settled me, has calmed me, has, I don't know, just comforted me, you know, in a sense of like, he really helps me kind of refocuses, refocus back to him rather than whatever is going on. Um, and it takes away the anxiety. It takes away the panic that I have at times of like, oh, I need to get this done. Mm. You know, especially like think about it, Christmas season. There's tons of lists of you got to do. Right? Isn't that ironic? Yeah. The and, chaos that ensues during Christmas time. And it's supposed to be. For the Prince of Peace. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I think uh, one of the things that truly just Jesus being the Prince of Peace is just, yeah, he... It's definitely one of the characteristics that I, I truly like have clung to yeah. of, of Christ because for again, for someone that has my personality, um, I need that. I need him. Yes. Yes. And as we move further down, when it starts to talk about again his government and his rule, again, I believe that's referring more to his second coming. But what I would say is this, you know, oftentimes Jesus is referred to in two ways. He's called Savior, but he's also called Lord, right? And so when you see governmental language and when you see, you know, stuff talking about him ruling with fairness and justice from a throne, um, a lot of this is referring to his lordship in our life currently. And then it literally becomes fulfilled when he come, returns his, for his second coming and actually rules and reigns on the earth. And not everybody believes that there's a, a bodily reign for Christ for a thousand years. I personally believe in a physical millennial reign of Christ. Not everyone believes that. But I believe that this 
portion of the prophecy is fulfilled in that, but it's also partially fulfilled in the idea that Jesus is Lord, right? The idea of his lordship is the part of Christmas that honestly I think is the reason why we've secularized it so much. You know, because what do you do with someone who comes and dies for you? It's one thing if he died and didn't, like, he just stayed in the grave, right? Like, if he just died, well, he's an awesome dude, you know, he gave his life for us, awesome, cool, you know, it was a great sacrifice. But when he rose again, that transitions him from just being a savior, you know, that, that sacrifice once and for all, to becoming our Lord, right? Worthy of our worship. And this is the thing that I think has really turned people off to Christmas and really is the reason why we've gone the secular route so often in our society. You know, obviously we live in a secular society and anybody who would argue that really has been living under a rock, right? But the reality is why we've moved away from really looking at Christmas that celebrates Jesus, right, is because this part of it, his lordship is real, right? Him resurrecting from the dead is a real thing. And obviously that doesn't happen without Christmas. So like when you look at the Christmas story, the Christmas story is about this guy who, who came as a baby and eventually dies and rises from the dead and is worthy of worship. So when I read about him ruling with fairness and justice from the throne of his father David or his ancestor David for all eternity, like when I read that, that is lordship language. And where I kind of want to land the plane, so to speak, on this podcast episode is talking about Christ's lordship and how that connects to Christmas. How How is it that when we look at Christmas... How is it that the lordship of Christ gets lost? I don't know. I mean, I think, like you said, it's almost as if they love that gentle, like, you know, cute little baby that came, right? Um, but the actual baby grows up yeah. to actually die on the cross for our sins and just the thought of that, like you said, that transition from baby, cute little baby, to the sacrificial lamb on a cross. And if anybody's seen The Passion of the Christ, like, you know, that movie itself depicting the crucifixion of Jesus, that's not very <laughs> cute. No. It's not wrapped up in a, in a pretty package. In a, in a Christmas bow. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I think... The Lordship becomes where you're facing the reality of why Jesus came. Yes. You know, when you have to look at and really understand what Christmas is about, you you know it doesn't just end there where him, him coming. There is the crucifixion. There is the resurrection. You know, and, and the resurrection, what does that mean? Which is, to me, is the ultimate gift. You know, but they don't want to hear that because that means you have to face the reality of your own mortality, your sinful nature, and all that. And nobody wants to do that because they want to just be merry and happy and do whatever they want, you know? I want to call, first of all, I want to, I want to say to you, if you're a listener who is not a follower of Jesus, 
Um, Chris, there is no better time than the Christmas season to open your heart and 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 your eyes to the fact that Jesus is who He says He is. Yes, who the I, scriptures yeah, say. Yeah, and he I is. mean, there is just I don't know. I mean, I like Jason said. Jesus is like this gift. It's not just for people that are good, so to speak, like what people think, you know, people are. It's for everyone, sinners like us, you know, like as a Christian, I'm not like a saint, saint. It's like I'm still sinful and I need Christ daily to 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 come into my life, to continue to empower me to live as a sinless life, you know, and it's just this great gift that that came for all mankind, not just the good people, not just for, you know, who you think it would be. It's for you and me. Well, and that's that's the point, honestly, of the beginning of our podcast when we talked at the very beginning of this, when we were talking about that all men live in darkness, right? Like we all live in darkness and Jesus is the great light that is shown into the darkness, right? So if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a follower of Christ and you recognize that you're walking in darkness and you're and you've been trying to figure out how to how to, you know, get out of that darkness or like maybe you realize that there wasn't a way out of it and your eyes have just kind of adjusted to it, let me shine the light into the darkness and tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he alone can can he is the light that shines into that darkness and um, it's never too late never too late is never too late and i think there's a lot of people that think that you know because i've done this thing or this thing you know and and that he could never love me that's just not true the bible is full of of people that are sinful that have been redeemed and rescued from their own sinfulness and is now like serving the Lord, you know? Yes. And it's like, I mean, David, who, you know, the scripture says is a man after God's own heart. He was not only an adulterer, but he was also a murderer, yeah. you know, Paul, like, you know, I get, you know, the, he's like the, one of the disciples is like, well, actually not a disciple, but he's like considered a saint. You know, and he used to like... Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Right, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he used to actually persecute Christians, like order them to be killed. And he's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, like Jesus said, you know, it's like it's never too late to to come to the light. Yeah, the light shines in darkness. And if you're listening and your recognition of that darkness in your life... Let me encourage you to reach out to Christ. And what it takes is you understanding that you're in darkness. <laughs> that's the like that's the prerequisite here is that you gotta recognize that you are in darkness. Um that's probably the hardest step, to be honest with you, is to admit to yourself that you're walking in darkness and that only Jesus is the light. I know our world would want to tell you that, you know, you have a light in you and all this other garbage. None of that's true. And I know you know that to be true. Your inner being tells you that that's true. Let me introduce you to the light. That's Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and you're listening to this podcast, I want to call on you to be one who proclaims 
that light has pierced the darkness and that that light is Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian listening to this and you need to be encouraged, um, let me encourage you that that light, if you're following Christ and you belong to him, that light is in you. He has placed that light in you, right? He said, you are the light of the world. Um, but that light is only light because of him. And so when you stand outside and you proclaim from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord, he is Savior, he is this light piercing the darkness. Christian, I want to challenge you that during this Christmas season, if you would take the focus off of all those other Christmas trappings, you know, the, and it's not to say that, you know, you don't give gifts and you don't enjoy family and you don't do all the things that, that we do during Christmas as tradition, right? But I think a lot of times, like Francis said, we get caught up in the chaos of that. And we really forget what the main message is of Christmas, which is it's about Jesus. It's about his coming. It's about why he came. I want to I challenge you and encourage you Christians to, to make that message as, as loud and clear as possible this year. And from every year moving forward. And maybe not make it loud and clear in your own churches, but maybe outside. Well, you yeah. Know, for like the world to see, you know, like the light. If there's just a bunch of lights <laughs> in your little light church, um, you're not really lighting up the church. I mean, you know, the, all the lights are on. Yeah. So how about going and taking that light out in the darkness and being a light out there? Yeah, and that's really what I'm getting at is the idea of... I know, you just say it so much nicer, doesn't it? Like, I hate you. <laughs> like, just say it. Like, hello, people, Christians. How about being a light and love on the outside and not just in your little pew? Perfect. How's that? Perfect. Yeah. Let me not get off on this. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. And uh, we're going to keep talking about... Christmas from the perspective of the scriptures and pointing it back to Jesus. Um, God bless you and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.